or Fortnite. And we do remember the Super Mario and the Pac-Man days earlier. Gaming has really evolved. Uh, we can talk about esports. We can talk about offline and online gaming. So there is a lot of happening in the gaming world. And that's the reason um, ISB decided to do this webinar. And I'm very, very happy to be hosting it with an amazing panel today. I'll just quickly introduce myself and then invite the panelists to introduce themselves on a roundtable. I am Chayan Kaushal, uh, an ISB alumni of PGP class of 16, and I'm a technology and a gaming enthusiast. Um, I will now just request in order Sudeep to introduce himself and talk about the games he has been playing or has played. All right. Good evening, everyone. Uh, first of all, I would like to thank Chayan and the ISP team in setting up this wonderful discussion around gaming in India. Thank you for having me here. Uh, my name is Sudeep and I work with Bazi Games. Bazi Games started in 2014 with the poker product launch first and then we forayed into fantasy sports and the most recent addition to the portfolio being Rummy. Uh, over the years, I've worked across multiple functions, you know, being a startup. Uh, and now as we've matured over time, I have been mainly concentrating around the analytics and the strategy part. Uh, we are one of the industry leaders in poker. Real money gaming in India is something, uh, you know, that's evolving at a rapid pace. And I'm very happy to be a part of this uh, evolving landscape. Uh, so, uh, in terms of games that I played with, so my first uh, exposure to poker was back in my undergrad days when, you know, after the classes, we were always thrilled to be able to play a few hands of poker and, you know, we were always fixing times uh, at what time in the evening should we start the session. And, uh, you know, having that one hour or one and a half hour of session wherein we could play probably 100 odd hands was something that gave us a kick and there wasn't any online platform platform back then. From those days to today, when we see, you know, on our poker platform, more than 3.5 lakh hands that are being played on a daily basis. And this number is ever growing. So seeing this humongous growth and, uh, you know, the adaptability that the Indian audience has had towards uh, the gaming sector. So this is uh, really heartwarming to see, and it's a great feeling to see the adoption uh, of the games on the digital front. Perfect, fantastic. Thank you, Sudeep. Um, I will now request uh, Gotham uh, to talk about himself and just give a glimpse of the games he has been playing or is playing. Right. Hey, uh, good evening, everyone. So I'm Gotham Krishnan. So I'm, I'm heading the uh, product team at Gamescraft. We are also a very young, uh, gaming startup based out of Bangalore. Uh, uh, I'm from the ISB batch of 2011. Uh, I've seen a lot of different industries. And uh, currently, I'm also in the real money space where we are working on you know, games of rummy, poker, fantasy sports, uh, casual gaming, etc. Uh, some of my favorite games, if I look at it, other than, let's say, poker for that matter, would be in the casual space where there is so much of innovation that is happening. Um, and I would probably prefer PUBG. Uh, but, you know, if I roll back myself 10 years back, some of the good games that I used to play was, you know, Counter-Strike, Age of Empires, and, uh, you know, Quake 3, etc, uh, etc. Et so, you know, this is how, you know, things have evolved from, you know, the first time that I played a game on a desktop versus, you know, now you have more computing power on your, you know, mobile phone. Perfect. 
Thank you so much, Gautam. Um, I I just wanted to add Tekken was one of my favorite game at that time as well. When at that era we were playing. All right, moving on. Um, hey, Purnima, would you like to talk about yourself and introduce you uh, to the world and talk about the games you have been playing? Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, ISB, for this opportunity. Hello, everyone. Uh, this is Purnima here. Uh, I've been in this industry for roughly fourteen odd years now. Um, and uh, it's been a great ride. I have had the opportunity to work with some really good names and uh, very varied titles. Uh, so I have had the opportunity to work across a role-playing game, uh, first-person shooter, cricket, uh, social casino, uh, kids entertainment, uh, and currently I'm the lead designer at uh, Zynga Games. Uh, I'm also a Women in Games ambassador. Uh, I am also part of the IGDC, which is a gaming community here, uh, and I'm a committee member there. Um, so gaming kind of happened by chance, and uh, then it took over. Age of Empires, as Gautam had mentioned, these are some of my favorite, and I think I owe my gaming career to Age of Empires in a way. Uh, as a student, I was making campaigns uh, of my own on Age of Empires and sharing it with my friends and feedback. Uh, little did I know that I was actually doing game design, uh, and that actually triggered the opportunity for me to become a game designer. Where I joined actually as a programmer, and um, I remember that they had handed me this Dungeons and Dragons manuals, and I was supposed to come up with an uh, entire game design document. And this was back in time where Google was barely there. These were the times of Orkut, uh, and uh, so it was interesting when I opened that book, I realized I just fell in love. And that's when the dynamic shift happened for me from everything else, from software development to programming to just falling in love with game design. My current favorite game is uh, a game called Gris, uh, which is just a lovely experience. I would recommend everyone to check that out. All right. Thank you so much, Purnima. It was a lovely introduction. Uh, let's move on and talk about Vikas. So, uh, Vikas, would you like to introduce yourself to the world and talk about the games you have been playing? Hi, uh, thanks for having me. Uh, I, I run a company called Lele Sports and Engagement Solutions. Um, we, uh, on one front, uh, we run actually uh, sports facilities in the physical world, in the offline space, so a little different uh, from everyone else here. Uh, and uh, on the other front, we do a lot of community and corporate uh, engagement uh, programs, uh, you know, for organizations and various communities across the country. Uh, my uh, interest in gaming actually started a little late uh, when I was actually 18 or 19. I, I did grow up on, you know, Game Boys and uh, Nintendo games. But uh, when I was 18, 19, I have uh, my eldest brother who, um, uh, uh, his name is Vivek. He he actually joined India's one of India's first, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, proper gaming studios. Uh, it was it was floated by the Apollo Group, and he used to bring a lot of uh, you know PC games uh, home for testing, uh, for testing. So I, I I used to be able to uh, be able to play those uh, stuff like Need for Speed, stuff like uh, No One Lives Forever, stuff like um, Unreal Tournament. Uh, so I, I really, I really got hooked uh, at that stage, uh, and I continued playing. Uh, but admittedly, uh, it becomes a bit tougher to play, uh, you know, with a full-time uh, career and family. Uh, however, uh, you know, so 
I did have a dry spell in the middle, but I'm really overjoyed these days because my son has actually turned seven. And uh, you know, he's that, at that right age where you can introduce games to him. So I've already, I already bought a retro Nintendo console for him and uh, he's just been able to start playing FIFA as well. So now that's our latest game. So I'm, I'm getting to relive everything with my young kid uh, and I'm playing FIFA these days with him. Thank you so much uh, for a lovely introduction, Vikas. And yes, I will maybe join you one day with your son as well. Let's have a FIFA tournament. Um, all right, uh, let's talk about Abhishek. Uh, so Abhishek, uh, you want to talk about yourself and introduce uh, on the things you have been doing and what sort of games you have been playing? Uh, good evening, everyone. My name is Abhishek Gupta. I represent Graykaro. Uh, we are a virtual reality and AI-driven defense tech startup. And the, the, the good question comes in, you know, what is that you're doing with defense tech that relates or resonates with gamification? So at Graykaro, we leverage the power of gamification and make virtual reality and artificial intelligence-driven tactical combat games. Uh, which will help us, you know, better train the armed forces for the special ops, for you know, the covert ops and things like that. That we dream, you know, while playing, you know, any of the first-person shooter games and all those things. So there is a sub-studio also within the organization where we are also making casual games. That initiative has been taken up by my co-founder Pranjal, and uh, we recently partnered with Nazara Games, which is one of the, you know, one of the prominent uh, indie publisher. And uh, we have been focusing on the IP related to the you know kids and teens gaming. Now on the other side, uh, you know, talking about my my you know avenues or you know adventures with gaming, I started gaming at a you know very early age. I'm not counting the days where I played uh, you know, things on consoles like you know Mario, uh, Load Runner, and things like that. I had my first PC game, uh, which is Commander 2, that I played uh, way back in 2001. Then moved on with uh, GTA, NFS. Uh, the first, you know, serious game that I played was uh, Age of Empires 2. And Gotham was also mentioning about, you know, most of us, you know, who come from that generation would have, you know, the serious act of gaming from the same set. So, uh, Commando 2, um, Age of Empires, and I moved on with Counter-Strike and a bunch of others that I played. So, I always wanted to go back to games and do something related to my passion. So, recently, we also roast, uh, you know, launched our uh, one of the very first competitive esports roaster. And we recently fielded, you know, a couple of clans for games like PUBG, uh, uh, Call of Duty, and things like that. And the guys are really doing well. So that's about us. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Abhishek. Um, so quickly, uh, let's talk about uh, what we are essentially going to gain out of this event uh, towards the end. We're going to talk about multiple segments, right from metrics to monetization, to brand development, to demographics of the gamer here and also touch upon the hardware and the software element. Uh, we're, we are also going to talk about what sort of challenges and policy decisions we need to have in place. And also uh, we're going to touch upon the career aspects in terms anyone wants to evolve in gaming as well. So I'm going to start with an opening segment and I'm going to ask Purnima the first question. So Purnima, is this the fifth gaming or content revolution we are saying? from print to TV to radio to maybe a Netflix, and now we are having the gaming revolution going on. So you want to talk about who is an Indian gamer? Where does he or she come from? Any demographics to start the discussion? Sure. So uh, yes, we are suddenly seeing a change in the wave, right? Uh, and this is also happening within India. This has been happening globally, but now we can see that change much more in here. 
so an average indian gamer in recent google's game summit also they had mentioned it's uh, mostly male and uh, 60 plus percentage is about you know the younger audience is like 18 to 25 years and uh, mostly single and uh, like a good percentage of them are students uh, and when we compare that to like the buyers uh, as well that 67 fall under the same category which is 18 to 25 and 72% of buyers are essentially male and we also see the trend that when it comes to students the revolution of the whole pubg scenario we can totally understand why this margin is uh, skewed this way because a lot of it is students who are playing these kind of games which is shooters and uh, sports category which are more primarily something uh, as demographically as we can say it's male dominated and then you have the puzzle variety which is where the female uh, demographic uh, plays better now um, between tier 1 and tier 2 there's some interesting data Uh, which is essentially uh, even like companies like Asus and HP and Dell have seen that when they are organizing events, uh, a lot more visitor participation is coming from tier two and tier three uh, cities, and this is a very interesting change. And also thanks to like geos, uh, data, etc., people are now easily able to access this kind of games. So now we have gone from just a city-based, you know, payer kind of methodology to taking it to a wider audience and have various avenues and i think some of the guys here will talk more about the whole impact of real money gaming as well and uh, but the opportunities are plenty and while it is still male dominated i think this is still a segue and we will get to a better ratio soon fantastic uh, abhishek would you like to add on to that um uh like punama said you know a couple of important insights that she shared about you know what is the demographic what is the distribution in terms of age groups the buying capacity or maybe the distribution of players coming from tier to tier three city you know so one of the critical things that i personally feel in my gaming experience by you know scouting for talent for our esports roster is you know uh, uh, that there has been a phenomenal change in how i mean people are you know getting exposed to gaming you know like back in the day a gamer was the one a person kind of an elite who had an access to uh, a decent pc with a graphic card with a nice uh, you know ram nice config and all right but uh, you know at the current onslaught you know 80% or more than that you know their generation is getting exposed to you know you know the gaming because they have access to a smartphone and then thankfully data and that kind of democratizes the you know capability to get into gaming from you know tier 2 tier 3 cities uh secondly you know some of the most important patterns which have been you know uh, seen right now that uh, games have become eventually a medium for you know the youngsters to explore uh, socially as well like we talk about games like pubg i know you know fair number of youngsters who make friends who expose or who explore the world while being one of the game sessions you know they they have an active you know uh, squad where they are interacting with guys making friends then you know getting into you know longer term relationships in terms of you know forming a teams and things like that so exploration is uh, social exploration is one of the key factors that's coming into play right now that's a that's a very interesting uh, point uh, you brought up abhishek um, the culture of gaming or the social evolution where people are you know huddling up and you know hanging out on gaming mm-hmm. joints Yeah. um i like to now ask gautam that you know uh, rami ludo king and maybe pubg have really brought people and friends together in these times 
So you want to add more context to this social evolution in gaming culture, which is popping up? Absolutely. So I think um, you know many of the games that you popularly play, right? The game of rummy, the game of poker, Ludo, etc., etc. These are these have been played traditionally by Indians over you know many many years, many many decades. And um, you know because of the lockdown experience, a lot of these people who have never played it in an uh, in an online setting has suddenly moved online. You know they have never played, let's say, Ludo in an online format. They have never played. Poker in an online format. They may have played Rummy in an online format, uh, but then you know because of the social distancing requirements, etc. What we are seeing is a consumer behavior change where people who have never played online has suddenly transitioned into an online way of playing it, and uh, you know that has become sort of the go-to uh, format for socializing also because you know there is a limit to the amount of content that you can browse, the content that you can see. Uh, before you feel, you know, social isolation. So, you know, so these are ways in which, you know, consumers have changed. And not only that, I would say, even if I look at it from uh, uh, many of the corporate uh, internet companies out there, uh, you know, gamification has been sort of a, a mandate that all these companies have been trying for in terms of gamifying their own product. If you look at, uh, but what has happened also in this span of, let's say the last six months is that, Every prominent internet startup in India has started their own gaming segment because they've realized that there is a lot of engagement that you can bring to the platform. And uh, you know, if you look at Amazon, Flipkart, PhonePay, you name it. As in, all these guys have their own gaming support within their platform. And uh, it's it's both a realization, both from the consumer standpoint as well as from corporates, that you know, gaming is a very powerful tool for engagement and for social interaction. So, you know, this is how, and I think just like what happened during, let's say, demonetization, where suddenly a lot of people have started transacting online. Uh, we believe that this is a long-term sort of a transactional change or behavioral change, where a lot of games that people used to play in an offline format, whether it's even caroms for that matter, uh, you know, there are games that have, people have started playing online and it's gonna be there even after you know the lockdown restrictions are removed absolutely a great point you touched there gautam um let's pivot this discussion a bit to the merging of the offline and online content and uh, uh vikas you have been doing great team engagement and team experiences activities for corporates in the offline world and also you have been part of the esports league on the other spectrum so you want to add more context how this is merging on both offline and online world? Uh, so, you know, we've seen the space uh, evolve uh, um, over quite some time. So we've been running this company now for uh, 10 years and uh, we've seen these waves and uh, uh, I think gaming or online gaming, what we're talking about, of course, it had a bit of a push from the first internet wave. But the real big, big, the real big push happened uh, when uh, you know the mobile wave happened. So you know everybody had a handset in their uh, in their hands and uh, started with simple games like Snake, or you um, you had Candy Crush. After that, once mobile started getting a bit better, and uh, and you had Temple Run and games like that. Um, the recent explosion, though, and as what Gotham uh, and uh, you know Sudipal also tell you. Uh, 
that the real explosion right now is happening in the real money uh, game space and that started i guess 5 to 6 years ago gotham maybe can help me or uh, deep could help me there uh 5 6 years ago this real explosion happened around fantasy sports uh, you know card based gaming casual games so all these games which were earlier there which are temple run or you know fruit ninja etc have started uh, being exposed to the real money uh, gaming segment uh Esports, unfortunately, and Sudeep, of course, will uh, talk better on this. Oh, not Sudeep, sorry. Uh, Abhishek will speak better on this. Is that uh, um, it? Actually, has been a little sluggish, and uh, somebody was mentioning uh, that it's it's it was more because of uh, high-end devices needed or high-end uh, you know consoles needed, either an Xbox or a PS or a PC. But lately, a lot of movements, and in the past maybe two or three odd years, um, uh, there have been some really interesting moves happening in that space and. uh that's just set to explode as well um on the other front what where we work uh in the offline space uh, you know around team experiences and corporate engagement uh, uh, initiatives uh gamification has actually been around for a while uh, you know um, there there two there two solid fits where gamification really helps uh in a in an organization or in a formal corporate one is actually it it helps people to you know um uh, let their hair down for fun and for recreation and team bonding purposes nice. um gamification or gaming initiatives uh, really help and uh, the brilliance of the virtual environment or virtual gaming initiative is that it can touch people all around the country irrespective of where the people are so it's actually been used quite a bit uh, already uh, for for quite some years now uh, the second place where uh, gamification is really used is um is in the learning and upskilling space uh, you know i'm 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 pretty sure at isb as well uh, students would have experienced that um uh, you know effective tool for learning is game experiences or gamified uh, experiences um what is uh, a buzzword these days uh, is and i'm sure you've come across it as well is uh, micro learning so sachet based games uh, which assist people in upskilling and learning is fairly popular in organizations uh, so that uh, you know uh, uh, those lines of online versus uh, offline are blurring there uh, we also work a lot in the uh, community engagement space where there's uh, our gaming has really helped uh, in fact uh, uh, we recently ran a couple of gaming tournaments for the isb alumni uh, community uh, uh, and um, we hope to be doing that uh, uh, in the coming years as we speak we are doing another gaming uh, tournament for the xlri alumni uh, community and what that th th these communities wherever they're sitting in their homes across the country have been able to participate so it's been uh, pretty exciting uh, from that point of view i think uh, yeah we we really are seeing a trend in the real money gaming uh, moving on and uh, i think that major factor i like to invite to sudeep to talk about it how's the trust and privacy factor popping up in the real money gaming i as a consumer am i reluctant to put my money in a gaming do i know is it safe or not so when i touch upon this real money aspect how can people really uh, charge up the real money gaming here also chain uh, regarding the trust factor i would like to break this particular question into two parts so the first part is where a user who who gets exposed to the game the first thing that they're concerned is that am i playing a fair game and the second part is obviously around the financial aspect of it where and you know the the end user feels that is my money going to be safe 
am I going to get something back? So there are both these aspects to it. Uh, when we talk about the fair gaming aspect of it, so uh, you know, uh, we uh, as a platform have have uh, accreditation and certificates from uh, you know independent gaming agencies, um, product testing labs, and I'm sure most of uh, the most of the companies in the industry have that. So that is one part wherein you know we somehow try to ensure the user that you know you are playing on a fair platform and there is no hanky panky going on around. And the second and this is rather the most uh, a more important side of things about the money that you know since I got to put in money to play the game, how do I make sure that you know I'm not being conned? So again, the focus uh, around this has been primarily to make sure that the users understand the game before putting in their money. So as you'll see, there are a lot of lots of platforms you're giving some sort of sign up bonuses, you know, for the users to come and explore the game first, rather than simply forcing them to put their money and then only we'll allow you to play. So uh, there's sign up bonuses uh, that's been given. Uh, we at PokerBazi have a slightly different approach. We, roll, we allow users to play free roles. Basically, you need not pay anything. You come play uh, top 50 winners or top 100 winners will get a certain amount. And then you can, you know, utilize that amount. So, and uh, with the COVID situation coming in, we have ramped up those free roles. We are giving more than one crore every month in those free entry tournaments. So that's one part of this. And the second part, obviously, like once the user comes in and experiences the game, they deposit the money. So the next thing comes that how fast am I going to get my money back? Because that's, that, that's what matters the most. And here what we see is a user cycle for an operator from, from the business standpoint is not complete when the user makes the deposit and starts playing the money. It's rather complete when the user makes their first withdrawal. The money reaches back to his account. So that's what we focus on. We encourage the users to, you know, put in their first withdrawal to ensure that, you know, they, they have that trust factor built in. Um, and in addition to this, uh, there's obviously the responsible gaming factor that comes into picture. Uh, we as an industry are working towards it, uh, you know, uh, from all real money gaming aspects, be it poker, be it fantasy sports, be it rummy. So uh, every, every industry is working very hard towards the responsible gaming side of it, where we make sure that the users are, uh, you know, already exposed to what sorts of risks you are taking when you're playing these games and how can you limit yourselves, your exposure to those risks, be it the money that you're putting in the system, be it the number of hours that you're spending on the system. So all of these things. Perfect. I think uh, very well put up, Sudeep. Uh, I do understand that, you know, the person or anyone who's putting money needs to withdraw it back. And I'm showing this churn rate, which you talked about, how soon can someone do that is one metric we'll be talking about later on. So coming to the money part now, let's talk about the monetization part. Uh, many of the audience folks are really interested about this. And this was even in the Q&A. So how are companies monetizing this? I like to talk about this with Abhishek that uh, there was a news recently, Sandbox, was a gaming uh, company who actually sold virtual land assets worth $500,000. Now, that, those are derivatives coming out from the gaming industry. So, Abhishek, you want to talk about monetization? How is that going on in the gaming industry right now? 
Okay, so uh, from the standpoint of monetization, uh, you know, there are many ways that the games or the studios have been, you know, uh, making money out of their games. Uh, let's not, you know, talk about real money games for now because for them, there's a clear cut path. We all understand when it comes to casual or the competitive games, you know, uh, uh, one of the key factors when you, you know, push out a casual games like Ludo King, we talk about bubble shooters or Chota Beams or, or, or that genres, you know, primarily there are two ways that you, you know, do things around. One is the ad revenue, which is the you know, easiest part for everyone, uh, which is, you know, very lesser in the amount of the percentage, which helps you monetize. But yes, this is the easiest or the quickest part. Uh, the second thing is the in-app purchase. You know, somewhere or the other, you either enable a player to buy some of the virtual assets, uh, skins, uh, passes, or anything that, you know, uplifts your, uh, lets you, you know, realize that you have uplifted your social status among other players. That's one. Or secondly, may, maybe you're feeling like you, you have attained more power. So that's the second is Now, when we talk about, uh, you know, things like what you're talking about right now, what happened in the case of Sandbox, you know, this is a trend that has been happening for like years when we talked about the PC games. Uh, you'd be surprised to know uh, there are a lot of times I've, you know, played with youngsters, you know, from European or North American nations uh, over one of the complex game lobbies or casual game lobbies. Those people who have been, you know, the kids who have been aging between, you know, eight to 16 or 15 years. And on an average, they have been transacting between two to $500 just to buy into a virtual game skin. You know, buying the skin of a gun that makes them look cool while holding this gun. I guess this is the serious monetization that we're talking about. If you talk about, you know, one of the most recent trends, you know, from the same word, you know, PUBG is one of the most, PUBG Mobile is one of the most prominent games right now in the Asia pack. And uh, which has really, which should be really credited for the you know one sort of gaming to India. So they have been you know doing a a, a very strong uh, you know uh, um, MRR monthly run rate uh, just by you know selling the royal passes and doing the you know enabling the virtual currencies, the virtual purchases within the app platform itself. You know, so certainly the same platform, the same concepts are being replicated when you talked about the sandbox as well. People feel empowered people feel privileged and they feel like within their friend circle, within their fraternity, they have attained something special, you know, with kind of a, you know, uh, let them realize their self-worth. You know, I, I guess that's the exact word that we should talk about. Sure. Uh, Gautam, would you like to add more context here? Yeah. yeah. So I think Abhishek has uh, mostly covered uh, may, many of the major points, but uh, what I would like to bring about is sort of a futuristic perspective, right? In terms of, how monetization might evolve in the future. And, um, you know, one of the biggest trends globally is esports. And, uh, you know, where, you know, you have specific teams which are, you know, working to achieve certain things, right? And uh, there is a very high probability that, uh, you know, esports as a category would have franchises who own them in the future. And uh, not only that, similar to, you know, how probably a stadium ticket is sold where you get a specific view when you sit in one of the galleries, right? There is also a thought process where you can say that, you know, I can give you a specific view of that gameplay, which is only available if you play, if you pay, let's say hundred dollars. So people are not only just thinking about how do I monetize a player? Uh, games are also started to think, how do I monetize my viewers? Um, you know, by giving them, let's say specific viewing access, uh, specific, you know, you know, 
uh, interaction probably with the you know the players that I'm playing with. So this is another way that uh, you know companies are looking at. But um, I can also think about it from another standpoint, which is again thinking about it from an internet startup standpoint. Um, uh, there was a there was a line of thinking which said that you know what is the best uh, let's say health app app or health startup that is out there and um, you know you most of you might have tried playing or using a health app and typically what happens is that you know after spending 15 days on it you start uh, you know giving up you say that you know nothing is improving i'm not improving myself uh, you know my weight is not losing etc i'm not building my muscles etc but uh, you know some of the gaming companies have solved this problem unfortunately they have sold it as a gaming product rather than a health product the the example that i can talk about is pokemon go you know it is one of the biggest health products a fitness product that is out, launched out there people are running around within without realizing that you know it's it's actually helping them improve their fitness uh, and not only help them you know enjoy the game so uh, so there are various ways in which you can monetize it and um, you know and gaming is a very important lever um, for companies or internet startups to build upon that and um, and many of the you know the typical problems that you face especially when you have to do hard things like you know improve your health manage your diet uh, you know help you improve your happiness these are solved by various gaming companies uh, probably the next best you know food company might be a gaming company i don't know uh but uh you know but i'm just saying that the the the, the stages of monetization um uh, and the new generation of companies which will come uh can, can you know uh, i i hope and i believe that you know gaming can actually solve a lot of world's problem yeah absolutely so i was touching upon a point in an article i read uh, there are companies popping up food companies popping up in korea just to cater the right food for the gaming audience like a pizza <laughs> or a snack Right. that's a new derivative which is just popping up in the asian absolutely country. furniture for that matter you know yeah. <laughs> so i think very very interesting aspect i'll now just shift the monetization part to the brands now there are multiple brands doing product placements inside gaming and uh, maybe purnima you can talk about how brands are leveraging gaming as a platform and helping games monetize as well uh so try and uh, so in game ads is a one of the most popular technique uh, where you know you you can put these things as your promos but some of the better ones which are not very frequent but we see is like uh, for example zinga's uh, natural merchant csr uh, we had the pagani unveil the huaira roadster uh, car the hypercar and that was launched in the game two weeks prior to the actual launch Uh, so people got to get a sneak uh, peek into the car and every nitty-gritty details of it through the game versus you know like two weeks prior to uh, launching the actual car. Then we also had like this is like a decade ago we had like a McDonald's farm in Farmville uh, where you know you can like they get certain items. So it it was like a very subtle and yet uh, it is kind of de- uh, in deep with the gameplay itself. so it's not something that's a retrofit but it has been a quite a part of the game now we also have uh, like you know recently with moba games uh, where you know they have uh, besides the whole esports you know sponsoring the jerseys and every other aspects the entire gear set we also have them now taking the banners within moba say league of legends recently has given that you know it's non intrusive but we can have those banners where we can 
uh, customize and put in brand places. Then we also have Nike and companies like that. So Nike had this uh, AR tech where they used to, you know, measure the uh, right fit for your sneakers, etc. So I worked for an AR company and a lot of brand engagement came with uh, leveraging that kind of technology. So brands are also looking at novelty. What keeps them, you know, apart from everything else? How can they influence the whole gaming market? It's it has captivated everyone. It has captured a larger audience, and games are also now utilizing brands. So we have uh, Baiju's uh, having Shahrukh Khan as a brand ambassador, right? We also have Dhoni uh, coming up with uh, poker ads. And uh, yeah. so, so we are also doing it multi ways. Like now, we have realized that both have its own presence, and we can collectively work towards enhancing the other. Yeah, that's a that's a very nice point. I did see that Dhoni ad recently uh, online, of course, and I was just amazed. If Dhoni is trying to come uh, invite us to play, why not? Um, absolutely. So, uh, just to have a different aspect, Himanshu, can we have a quick poll question for the audience? to uh, see how are we coming up. All right, guys, do uh, vote for the option. And in the end, Himanshi will be giving you e-goodies for sure. Yes, so can we have the results for that? Oh, so the correct answer is action. All right, that's that's really interesting. So action is being developed every cross, and uh, players really like action. Uh, coming back to gamification, Vikas. Uh, gamification is one of the most uh, studied topic these days in both B schools and corporate lives. So you want to touch upon how gamification is adding more value to the gaming industry right now, both in the employee space and the customer space. Uh, yeah, I think I think I can talk a little more about the uh, employee space uh, um, since we work uh, in that space a, a bit. Um, I think I mentioned that uh, earlier as well uh, that a lot of gamification is uh, used for um, you know the easiest thing to imagine is for recreation and uh, team bonding purposes. Um, so you know. There's this very popular program that's been running actually again for quite a few years, uh, wherein you can imagine a fitness challenge where as uh, teams you have to say if there are 100 employees and uh, you have 20 teams of five each and you want to do a walking challenge to see which team walks the most or takes the most steps, right? Uh, earlier without, uh, you know, a, a pedometer on your mobile, uh, um, and uh, without the mobile connectivity that we have today, uh, it wouldn't have been possible for um, a nationwide organization to be able to conduct this. But now with all of those pieces in place, it's uh, become a pr pretty popular scheme to do a yearly fitness challenge where multiple teams are competing against each other and uh, are, you're able to track on a live basis uh, which team is doing uh, better than the other, you have live leaderboards. So there's a lot of gamification that's been happening on the team bonding and you know team engagement 
and recreational and fun aspects. Um, the second aspect I also talked a little bit about uh, was how gamification is being used a lot in the uh, learning and uh, upskilling space. So just a couple of days back, I was uh, in a session um, uh, done by a learning company, uh, which to teach uh, agile leadership as a topic, which is a very academic concept. Um, they uh, had a game where um, you had to lead uh, a pack of hikers up Mount Everest. And during that journey, there were 10 variables that came into play that you know, somebody lost oxygen or wasn't being able to breathe properly. Uh, you have to uh, stop a day and uh, pitch a tent because the weather's bad. And there are 10 variables thrown in. And then using that whole experience, uh, leaders across organizations really you know, discussed how you need to uh, have that foresight and even you know, plan ahead for extraordinary circumstances uh, uh, that will come, uh, come your way. And very relevant, especially uh, for uh, what's happening today with all of us with this um, with the COVID situation. Um, most organizations wouldn't have planned for such a uh, for such a time. So it really struck a chord there. So gamification of learning and upskilling. Um, there's a there's a really good fit there. I talked about how you have these sachet-based games, which teach you even micro concepts such as you know, if you want to learn a, a function on even Microsoft Excel, right? Uh, employees are supposed to take a quick training session all in five minutes, run a challenge, um, uh, uh, you know, execute the skill. And if, and if you uh, are able to successfully do that, you're, uh, you get one more mark and then you're uh, up on the leaderboard in the company's inter intranet. So a lot of stuff like this is happening uh, for learning and upskilling. Uh, and it might not necessarily mean immediate monetization um, uh, for, for companies' objectives, but uh, it is a long-term game wherein gamification is allowing employees to bond together and also uh, learn effectively. Fantastic. Um, very well put up, Vikas. Um, I'll quickly move on to the next segment we have, and I'd like to now invite Sudeep back to the board. Uh, we are having a very interesting audience right now who would like to hear about metrics. What sort of metrics gaming companies actually use? And uh, th this question was on the cards, multiple forums. I can even see on the chat. People want to know, is the use of AI ML super hot in gaming or is it still at a development phase? So Sidhip, would you like to add more context to this? Yeah, so uh, when we're talking about metrics, uh, they're the basic business metrics that, uh, you know, every company across the industries uh, use, like your conversion rates, your retention rates, what's your engagement cycle, your acquisition costs, um, you know, things around your average revenues that you're generating. Uh, but eventually it all, you know, and eventually for every company that's spending your marketing dollars, it boils down to ROIs because that's what survives the business. So ROIs and LTVs are the primary focus uh, when we're talking about the metrics. And, um, you know, ML, uh, the evolvement of ML and AI have definitely helped uh, gaming industries and uh, from the perspective that now, based on the behavior, you are able to serve the uh, end users of playing the game near real time, uh, you know, modified things. Uh, be it any sort of uh, achievement uh, pop-up that, you know, you might want to achieve this thing 
since you're playing this or based on their game behavior you might want to nudge them a bit yeah that you know probably you should move to this side or that side but eventually like in the end the decision lies with the end user uh you can do your bit into making sure that their experience enhances to such an extent uh from the product standpoint ml definitely adds a lot of value as i'm sure gautam would agree and he can probably shed some light on that that you know where are the multiple points where in your users drop off and uh, so there would be certain things where you you would feel that you know a lot of my players are getting dropped off at this particular page or on this particular step but uh, they might be doing that intentionally so to actually know if if it's uh, a glitch in the system or if they're doing that intentionally because uh, just to give a very simple example there would be a set of users who would be coming again and again to your deposit page where when you know you're probably giving them customized deposit offers so if they're not getting any then they would try and coming back again and again and again to look uh, into looking for that offer so that you know they can leverage more uh, out of the bonus that's probably given to them or any sorts of or any other additional uh, goody that's uh, being given to them so these sorts of users um, definitely drive negative roi uh, on the overall metrics point of view so uh, from the standpoint to actually identify that if a user's behavior is something that's natural or if it's something that's you know he's doing it intentionally so that is something that uh, that has been definitely able to uh, you know take an out of the advancement through the advancement in the ai and the ml space uh, then again there is perceived user behavior versus actual user behavior where you know you can you get certain feedbacks that i like this thing more and i like that thing more so you know you you could probably do this thing in your product or this thing in your marketing campaigns or you you should do these sort of campaigns so those are the things that definitely any sort of user who who is getting onto the platform they have certain things in mind and they want those things but the story changes all together when the users actually come to the platform and they start playing you know they are influenced a lot by what others are doing uh, you know uh, how how they how the recent 15 minutes went for them and so all of these things rather than getting from a user standpoint the the more accurate picture is gotten from the data or the digital footprint that the user is leaving on my platform so and uh, you know uh, to top it off the most fundamental rule of the uh, gaming ecosystem especially in the real money gaming industry is the liquidity of players in the system at the end of the day uh, the real money gaming system is a peer to peer gaming system and there's no game if there are no peers and this has to hold truth uh across the different set of segments be it the small stakes be it the mid stakes or the high stakes so liquidity at each stake is something that that's a, a very important metric for any uh, real money gaming company um, um it consists usually of the peak concurrent user count across uh, different time durations throughout the day and how are the players migrating from you know between these different stakes and different times of the day so these are some of the few metrics obviously there's an endless list uh, you know you you can keep on going for hours but uh, yeah primarily these are the metrics that we uh, you know as a gaming industry look right um that's that's uh, very well put up sudeep uh, i was actually thinking about the l2 metrics which could have been where are people dropping off and what happens when people actually put money and then what happens when they actually withdraw money so there are things going on in my head maybe i'll go online tonight on poker bazi and play some games
for sure. Most um, um, I'll, I'll quickly now discuss on the very interesting aspect which most of our users are uh, also waiting for is the career, uh, game design, game development. There are a lot of product managers who are just um, online and wanting to hear the panel about all this. So maybe Purnima and Gautam, I'll, I'll, I'll open it to both of you guys. Talking about the game design and game development, how things are evolving, how can it shape for a current career for someone? Uh, so, Shrein, so game development, interestingly, is not just the core development, right? There's so much more to it. There's the whole process, the organization, uh, there's this data analysis, there is, you know, management. Uh, then you also have your supplement roles. Uh, so it's not just the code roles of uh, designing, programming and art. It goes way beyond that because even there, there are plenty segregation. So if I talk about game design itself, this level designer, this economy designer, uh, then you have your narrative designer. It, the categorization is so vast uh, that uh, you will be able to uh, fit yourself one way or the other. Uh, product management is also about understanding part of the design and crunching these numbers and making value of those numbers. Uh, so it's not always just about what it is rather than how it is going to impact your game. How can you take this forward? Uh, the creativity part of it will come from the game design, the core game team. And uh, we have to be on the, you know, always uh, looking at what are the competition, how we can better. There's a lot of innovation going on. And a lot of times this innovation comes from numbers, interestingly, because when it comes to live ops, uh, where we have this act like complete access to data, uh, we can actually figure out where the problems lie, right? This, this is not something we can do with a premium game, essentially, because there it's more on the gut. It's more on experience. It's more on understanding how the market is and what we are doing and we can put it out there versus your uh, free-to-play model where you can utilize and leverage your data to make your game experience better because you also want the game longevity to be much larger uh, because uh, unlike your free premium games here you're trying to monetize over a course of years right it's not by one right away uh, so the industry actually opens its arms to a lot of categories so we we now have so many people uh, i think gautam had also mentioned that people from e-commerce from other industry uh, if you are making a game on fashion design we have an entire batch of fashion designers uh, working on a game so there is an avenue for everything. And so I think people need not figure out whether they are gamers and only then they can game and get into game development. Understanding of the game is important as is with anything and you need to understand what you're working for. But other than that, I think there is a role, you name it and there is a role for it in the industry. Sure, Gautam, would you like to add a quick context to that as well? I can sure. understand from Purnima that yes, anyone can become and apply for gaming. Yes, they need creativity and they need a lot of other elements. But yeah. the, the, the spectrum is huge. Uh, the diversity is huge there. Absolutely, absolutely. In fact, um, uh, broadly, if you look at a gaming company also, right, as in it requires all the basic uh, support system, let's say, you know, whether it's digital marketing, whether it's data analytics, whether it's, you know, tech development, program management, you know, product management. Uh, and in addition to the, the traditional things that a typical internet company has, there is a lot more focus on game designing and art and the interaction part of it. 
as in this is probably the only piece that is different from any other internet startup out there and um, you know i would say that um, you know in this current situation that we are in gaming edutech and some of the let's say saas platforms are still among the best or the best growth sectors and not only that they are also even now you know in this lockdown situation also they are the few companies which are still looking out for talent so and and, and you know i think this is sort of a generational shift that is going to happen and you know as we all know that you know any behavior that is repeated for more than 21 days becomes sort of ingrained uh, as a as a you know as a consistent uh, typical behavior and you know we are being stuck at home so more than that now and many of the behaviors that you form at this point in time will be quite difficult once you get out of the lockdown and because a lot of people who never experienced let's say playing games or you know spending time uh, online or learning online uh, the, the you know they have started getting out of their mental block and started experiencing these platforms and i think um, uh the opportunities out there and i think what we have seen in the last decade where e-commerce was sort of the biggest boom that happened i think the next 10 you know decade or 10 years is going to be about gaming and edutech primarily so wow. uh so i i i think um, you know like gaming is can be seriously looked at as a very good career opportunity because uh, the cost of building a platform or a game has substantially come down and uh, and you know globally gaming is the biggest revenue is creating more revenue uh, than ott platforms already out there so it's also the one of the biggest entertainment uh, you know categories out there uh, and uh, this i'm talking about without even including the real money games uh, as a matter of fact this is just covering the the rest of the gaming segment so uh, so i think it's it, there is serious money uh, involved in this and not only that a generational as in you know all our generation or even before that earlier you know our parents used to say that ki like you know only kids play games but you know now you say that you know most of the adults also play games uh, and uh, and it's going to be there and it's going to become more and more going forward so anybody who's looking at you know career opportunities in the gaming sector i would suggest that this is the right time to get in because it's only going to explode from here for the next 10 years absolutely and i'm sure your linkedin pages will be really visited today after this uh, webinar <laughs> and people will be talking to you more um i'll quickly move on to the hardware side of the gaming now uh, the dev side the design side is pretty much uh, discussed so abhishek would you talk about the hardware side uh, i got couple of questions uh, to discuss on the ar vr elements uh, we have all seen iron man movies and that hud display hood display which iron man has is really looked upon to are we seeing a jump in the technological innovations in hardware as well you want to touch upon this aspect uh yes i mean a great amount of credit to what's happening the amount of innovation that's happening in the world of gpu tech versus the display tech i guess uh, we should credit vr ar uh, uh conventionally the games that we have been playing you know uh, they were distributed on pc they started getting distributed on mobile phone but when we talked about the next level of you know the gaming or maybe the experience we started discussing two concepts you know virtual reality augmented reality and the enabler is hud that we call headset display and the hmd which is the head mounted display the basic understanding of the categorization is um, in virtual reality i wear one of the headsets you know i'm completely teleported to a you know imaginary world 
and then I'm disconnected with my physicality. When I talk about the headset that plays, you know, this is a, a see-through kind of a headset, uh, what we have been seeing in movies like Iron Man. So I'm connected with my physical world. Plus on top of it, there's some information that's augmented in front of me. So uh, VR, AR, you know, grew very quickly in last five years. And, uh, you know, uh, the world started realizing you know, that we need three key factors from the technology standpoint. So one of the factors is display for you to immerse into something. So let me just, you know, draw you back in uh, for an example. So all of us would have played any of the first person shooter game like Counter-Strike. You know, seeing this game or playing this game on a PC versus getting into this game and then participating into this action. Obviously, the experience we are talking about is surreal, but the challenge is for you to immerse yourself in one such virtual world, whatever head mounted display that you're using should give you actually the retina grade of display. Yeah. The current generation that we are talking about is 4K at max, you know, and in case of virtual reality, when you want to realize something which, you know, hyper you're talking about something that gives you a display which is equivalent to what your, you know, eye, the naked eye can see. So that is the one uh, tech requirement that Word started realizing. And then a lot of companies started, you know, pushing their developments on this front. Second is the GPU, the graphical powers, you know. So we had, you know, smartphones, you know, getting very fancy chipsets from, you know, players like Snapdragon, uh, Qualcomm, and then MediaTek and all, right? Uh, and then on the PC side, you know, uh, NVIDIA has been continuously innovating. But when we talked about distributing or utilizing the same GPU on a headset, the world started realizing the importance of portability. Because with a headset, you cannot, you know, have this GPU-enabled machine keep on hanging with you. So display, then the GPU. And the third and the most important thing is the tracking. The headset would really like to understand what is your spatial position right now? What is the space mm. that you're in? So the world has started, you know, pushing really hard on the innovation side for all these three areas. And, uh, you know, one of the key validator of the technology of VR, AR in gaming is uh, if I give you some of the stats, you know, the last month, the reports were out. One of the most popular game that was, you know, uh, played on VR was Beat Saber. And they'd made, you know, more than a million in revenues, yeah. which is a great sign that something is working out. Secondly, you know, most of the popular game titles that have been coming on the PC, they have started doing, you know, a knockoff for VR, maybe for the demonstration purposes, because right now the end user is not having the VR headsets at home. But seriously, the games have, you know, the game studios have started considering. And one of the biggest validator of this was when Sony, you know, launched the PS VR version they sold more than a million copies, which means people are buying it, they're using it, and then they're validating that they want to have more content. So it's a cyclic comparison, you know, the companies would keep on, the technology side would keep on pushing on, you know, better technology to uh, let these things see the light of the day. At the same time, the content studios, the game studios, which keep on, you know, creating more content on top of it, so that whenever we get you know, better hardware, whatever hardware that we keep on getting, you know, the, the users, the consumers should, you know, have enough of content to play around it. So I am very bullish personally because the, my entire business is based upon that. And uh, I'm very bullish that this is the decade that, you know, we're going to see the entire paradigm shift in terms of, you know, how the computer, the humans are interacting with the computers. So it is going to be a complete, you know, shift from the HCI. Like we transition from computer to mobile. This is the era that we're going to transition from mobile to wearables.
Wow. So I was actually seeing glimpses of Tony Stark in you when you were explaining that. It's uh, pretty well put up. Um, I think uh, I'll, I'll now just, uh, we are uh, almost uh, in time for uh, the final segment. Uh, Sudeep, and I'll open it to the full panel. Um, uh, I'll actually start with Sudeep that uh, any policy related uh, touch points you want to talk about in terms of real money gaming, poker online. Um, I know some states cannot actually touch upon poker in real money. So uh, let's talk about some policy related things and then I'll open it to the panel for the future trends and challenges this industry actually sees. So uh, definitely Chang here. Uh, when we're talking about the policy around the real money games, so, uh, you know, the, the, the acts in the, uh, the acts in India basically have been uh, very late acts. Uh, most of these real money games come under the acts that are uh, put up back in 1867. So these are pre-independence uh, pre acts. Uh, which were more or less directly copied from the British uh, British side of things. So uh, now um, around the most recent efforts that uh, we are doing is that there are obviously cert certain industry bodies like uh, your FIFS, your Indian Federation of Sports Gaming and all of these things. So these bodies are certainly working with various uh, ministries like the Ministry of Information Technology or the Niti Aayog. And the whole concept is, uh, you know, to, to enlighten them uh, in defining what's a game of skill versus what's a game of chance. There's no game, like not even chess is something that's a pure play skill game. There's a certain element, however minuscule it may be, but there's a certain element of chance in each and every game. So when we're talking about the games of skill versus the games of chance, so uh, like uh, there have been uh, rulings where and you know we we always come up with that uh, a certain percentage of skill when involved in a particular game classifies it as a skill based game rather than a chance based game rummy comes under that poker comes under that so hopefully going forward as and when we are able to uh, you know uh, share shed more light on how these two types of games are different how uh, you know playing a game of skill is no, is totally different to gambling. Like a team pati would be gambling, wherein you know you're just putting out money and uh, you know waiting for the outcome. Uh, but uh, games like uh, poker or rummy or you know even fantasy sports, where you need to have certain knowledge about how the recent trends have been and uh, how things have fared in the recent past. So it's it's all about practice and uh, you know more of a skill element. So. The policies are all around, uh, you know, getting these industry bodies talking with the uh, policy makers, the, the Niti Aayog, as I mentioned. So uh, we're seeing certain positive, uh, you know, uh, positive, si positive results from their side as well in terms of reciprocating how uh, skill and chance-based games are different. Uh, hoping that, you know, uh, this gets uh, resolved pretty soon and uh, we are able to you know, make this available to a wider audience base. Interesting point. So let's open to the panel on discussion about the challenges or the future trends which we see for this industry. Any quick thoughts from the panel? Yeah. Uh, so I think, um, I think obviously there are uh, certain challenges uh, in terms of, let's say, I would say, uh, mental health and you know addiction related, which um, I think there are certain. Uh, Shashi Tharoor had come up with a you know some of the points that Sudeep has also mentioned, which is that 
we have legacy uh, legislations in india which are probably carried over from the british era but um, i think we need a modern regu uh, regulation in in india and i think uh, some of the efforts are happening in that direction to take care of some of the side effects or unintended consequences of this um, uh, it and i'm pretty sure that you know that will be beneficial for the entire sector as well as you know the participants of that uh, sector as a whole when those things are implemented uh, but other than that i think uh, the government has also realized i would say that more than the challenges which are out there uh, you know if i look at it from an organizational standpoint the government has really uh, realized that this is going to be one of the biggest uh, sectors which is which will you know start contributing revenue also to the government so yes. i don't think uh, you know there'll be any adverse effect uh, or action taken by the government at a large level but if i look at organizational standpoint i'm i'm pretty sure that there is a dearth of talent because uh, you know india in india as in um, gaming as a category has not evolved much as in i'm just saying still if you look at uh, you know maybe purnima can also add to this that many of the best of the games are still developed not in india but you know at the at the core offices of many of these uh, big companies out there and this has been the trend for most of the mncs you know who set up shops whether it's e-commerce or any of the other things it takes a decade uh, for that transition to happen where they realize that you know the indian talent also has capability to build these are things up from scratch uh, so i think we are in that phase where a lot of uh, requirement for talent will be there a lot of uh, products which are new and fresh will start coming out of india whether it's for global audience or whether it's for indian audience whether it's for indian firms or for global firms uh, so we are in this phase where i think the primary bottleneck would still be talent and uh, you know and how the regulation would uh, keep evolving around it perfect i i do see a lot of talented people listening to this <laughs> and will be surely scouting on these aspects um i think we are really into time uh, i'll quickly move to the question answer session and uh, let's uh, i think we are just in time to take a couple of questions so um i'll start with the most um, frequent question i actually got and this was quoted by saransh gupta from pgp 2020 uh, so his question is how do vcs invest in gaming companies and how's the current climate and what does the future hold so in, essentially uh, he wants to know about the investment space in gaming companies so anyone if you want to take a stab at that abhishek you want to talk about it or I yeah, probably I, I can speak a couple of lines and then you can add on you know so obviously you know uh, one of the hottest space uh, when it comes to vc investment is the real money games because that's where you know you talk about the growth the very fast growth aggressive numbers you know the real money coming into picture getting multiples and all right uh, however on the other side when we talk about the you know casual games doing the competitive genres like you know rpg mmo and all right uh, one of the bigger problem which connects to you know what gotham said a couple of minutes back there's a lack of you know uh, you know capability in india to invest in the rnd of the newer ips you know mm. they have not been very successful into building you know world class games you know uh, one of the key reasons because it takes a lot of time it takes a lot of time in prototyping you know testing the early beta and then you know getting out the uh, to the early set of users and uh, eventually it doesn't guarantee you success there couldn't be any growth metrics that could be generated overnight unfortunately that's one of the reason that you know when you talk about games related r&d the vc segment is not very much interested into it 
However, when we talk about specifically the uh, you know uh, real money gaming, and then we talk about you know games that could be you know taken out to larger audience like you know skill based game kind of puzzles, the quizzes and all right. Uh, there's certainly you know decent amount of interest that's coming. Okay. Yeah. So I'll I'll just add one more uh, couple of statements uh, to that. So uh, I would just say that actually there is a lot of VC interest. Uh, which is that if you look at uh, Kalari and all, yes. uh, they have in fact uh, invested not just in let's say companies which are into real money space, which is like Dream Eleven, but they have also invested in a lot of uh, let's say gaming startups which are into the casual space. And you know even in India there are a lot of games like you know or uh, studios uh, and publishers like Moonfrog, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, uh, which are sort of uh, you know domestic from that standpoint. But as Abhishek mentioned, there is a lot of risk aspect to it. Uh, you know, even if you look at the, the Angry Birds story, you know, they built apparently 50 games before, you know, Angry Birds became successful. So there is a risk element to it because uh, consumer behavior cannot be predicted completely because, you know, what we are competing against is boredom and entertainment. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if, I, if I'm bored, I have like 50 things to do. You know, even if I want to play... If I consider gaming as one of the sources of my entertainment, within gaming, I have billions of games available. Yes. So, you know, how do I create a game that will catch the attention and interest of the audience? Uh, that is, you know, there are a lot of brilliant games which are probably, uh, you know, died off uh, because they couldn't capture the, the, the user interest. Uh, but I would say that not just online games, but even board games. Um, you know, there are a lot of startups which are also working on board games. Uh, one example is, you know, uh, one of the, coolest trend currently is let's say cards against humanity in the US primarily and there are a lot of clones of that uh, and a lot of startups which are creating similar games in, in, in the Indian space also. Uh, so I would say that uh, there is a lot of interest um, at least uh, the, the, the objective would remain that you need to keep experimenting fast and trying you know you need to prototype fast and release it uh, and validate certain assumptions before you let's say, reach out to big VCs, uh, is what I would say. Or, you know, I'm pretty sure you can find seed investors to help you out if your concept and if your validation is right. Absolutely. Vikas, you want to add something there? Yeah, so I was just saying that uh, there, there has been, uh, there are quite a few examples to talk about. And, you know, on this panel itself, there's been, uh, uh, you know, fund infusion by, uh, you know, investors. Um, but uh, Dream Eleven is the unicorn, right? Uh, uh, NPL is headed that way, and uh, there are uh, if, if if you look across the spectrum, even the quizzing space, uh, Zupi, uh, there was a, a recent fund infusion. So you know, across all subcategories of uh, RMG in particular, uh, real money gaming in particular, there's there's significant movement. So I would say if you look across uh, very all the segments out there, gaming is uh, uh, you know. Uh, in the top few in terms of investor interest right now. Perfect. Uh, I think we're in time for taking one quick question. Uh, this was also one of the most um, um, blipped question asked in, from the panel. So this is from Anand Menon. He's PGP 2003. Um, he wants to basically understand the latest marketing tools used by the gaming companies. How will these be applied in the services world? So, any one of you want to take a stab at that? So, I would say that it's uh, 
you know, I, 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 like, you know, primarily the method of, uh, let's say, marketing for most of the gaming companies, as in uh, Vikas or Abhishek or Sudeep can add more to it. But uh, it's traditionally all the marketing tools which are out there, as in it's digital marketing primarily, right? Yeah. So uh, other than that, you know, if there are some specific initiatives or tools used from an offline standpoint, I'm not aware of it. But uh, I would say that these are like, you know, out of the box, uh, uh, typical solutions off the roof, sorry, off the shelf, sort of typical solutions which are available. Uh, you know, I can list down the number of solutions that we use, but you know, these are generic uh, solutions which are used for, let's say, Facebook ad targeting or, you know, Google ad networks, display ads, uh, those sort of things. So just to add to Gautam here, uh, like, as he mentioned, uh, most of these are out-of-the-box tools that, uh, that we're using. So one of the uh, major differences that we have between what, uh, what gaming industries use versus what, what an e-commerce probably would use is uh, how is the revenue uh, generated for the user? Because in an e-commerce industry, as soon as the purchase happens, that's when the, that, that's when the revenue is registered for the e-com company. Um, you know, um, as soon as the user goes through with the payment, whereas in a gaming company and specifically in the real money gaming sector, I'm not talking about the in-app purchases that are happening across the casual game space. So in, in the real money gaming sp uh, space, uh, once you put in the money, that's just the money put in. There's no revenue generated on that. And hence to, uh, you know, to effectively calculate our ROIs in this space, uh, the transactions do not finish at when the user makes the deposit because the deposit essentially acts as just a wallet for them. Yeah. Uh, the revenue is generated at a later stage when they engage in gameplays. So this is one of the primary differences that's out there between the rest of the industry versus the gaming space. Other than that, I think, uh, as Gautam mentioned, most of this is pretty much what we usually have. Cool. Abhishek, you wanted to make a quick point there on uh, how this is. Happening. Yes. So, so, so one of the new thing, you know, beyond the conventional tools, which is working out is the utilization of influencers into this paradigm and the discovery of content using tools like YouTube. You know, uh, mm. if you exactly, you know, now the stats right now, you know, the, the most number of, you know, live viewers in India across a category was, you know, seen in a gaming channel called you know, uh, which is owned by a 23 year old, you know, yes. gamer called yes. Martin, you know, and they, you know, there are a number of people who um, crossed 100,000 live viewers. And this is one of the newer ways that these guys have been, you know, you know, pushing more products to the market, which are related to gaming, more ideas. And at the same time, you know, uh, why we are talking about, because this relates to the conventional industries as well. They're also, their channels, their, you know, uh, mediums are also being utilized uh, for propagating the non-gaming products as well. A lot of fintech products are being, you know, marketed using those platforms. A lot of games, a lot of, you know, you know, uh, consumables are being marketed through those channels. So this is one of the newer categories or tools which has come. Or Twitch, for that matter. Twitch is another uh, global yes, uh, yes. content creation platform. And, and right. YouTube gaming is working on it. Absolutely. Sure. So I think uh, we are really uh, out of time now. Um, I'll quickly like to thank uh, the ISB team, Parul, Hima, Himanshu, Shubham. And our fellow moderators for the Tech SIG, Vivek and Mahima, were really helping us out. And of course, we had a volunteer, Ronak, as well, who was helping us out from ISP. Um, it was a great session, guys. Uh, thank you so much for uh, sparing our time on a Saturday. And I'm sure the audience had uh, really great learnings um, to take away from this. Uh, Hima, would you like to add on a closing yeah. comment to just talk about how did we yeah. go about the session? 
Thank you so much. Uh, it was really wonderful listening to you, all of you, and gaming. I must be the only non-gamer on this whole <laughs> session today. But uh, taking our time on a Saturday and doing this was wonderful. Thank you so much. And uh, hey, guys, it's Saturday evening. Take out the beer, take out your Game Boys, and it's happy hour. <laughs> I'm sure everyone will be gaming Thank after you. this. <laughs> sure, I'm sure. I'm sure your thumbs are reaching to get on to a... <laughs> Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining in. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good evening. Good weekend.